Welcome to the Growth Pioneers Podcast. This is your host, Doug Irwin. On this inaugural episode of the Growth Pioneers Podcast, my dear friend and colleague Brian McArdle and I discuss the philosophy behind ecosystem building, the importance of core values in building a community, the role of seed capital, and a lot of other topics about how Reno's entrepreneurial ecosystem was formed, where it's at, and where it's going. Joining me today is a dear friend and colleague, Brian McArdle from Edon. Welcome, Brian. Hey, thanks. This is the first one, so I get, I'm the guinea pig. We're going to work out all the kinks on this one. I really appreciate you taking some time to, to chat with me. I really always enjoy our conversations at lunch, and so I, we might as well memorialize them into this universe of podcasting. It's crazy that it hasn't been done before. Yeah. So we're embarking, but we should have done this years ago. One of the many ideas that we put on the wall that <laughs> never so really true. actually got put into practice. So I couldn't think of someone that I'd rather be sitting oh, here thanks. and doing. So let's, yeah, let's talk a little bit about, you know, we're with EDON, the Economic Development Agency, and our roles are really to help support and grow the local startup community and entrepreneurial ecosystem. And so Brian and I, we've been doing that work for... I'm going on eight years, you nine, but wow. I was doing similar stuff for another nonprofit. So Startup Weekend stuff, Project Vesto 2012. Wow. You had joined EDON, I was doing something else. And yeah, you recruited me over. That was somehow that, I landed at Edon. I don't know how it happened. I'll tell you, what, that was serendipity. Yeah, that was a fun time. I really enjoyed working through Vesto with you, and then getting on on board. And then we've just been making history ever since. That is true. It's crazy to think about where we've come. We just walked through Midtown today, and just can see everything that's changed over the last eight to ten years. It's crazy. We're ending the decade, which when you look back, it's been a roller coaster. God, can you? I mean, we were walking through Midtown. Can you believe? that that's what Midtown looks like now, given where we started. Well, I opened a business in Midtown 2008, Filthy McNasties. And I remember it was Hillary who owned Plato's Closet and Jessica from Junkie Clothing Exchange. And there was Miguel's and uh, Chapel Tavern that just opened. And it's crazy to think that now Hillary from Plato's Closet is now Mayor Hillary Sheevy. And that Midtown has just blossomed to this most attractive area. When people come to town, that's what they want to see. That's one of the things I love about this community, though, is that the people that are actually making things happen then move into the political structure, and it's still very much a community. I mean, you can work with the people you need to easily. You you can see the change on the ground. I mean, that's one of the things that I found so rewarding about working with the entrepreneurs is they're just doers. And, you know, if you get an entrepreneurial mayor, she just goes in and makes things happen. Yeah, we've also created the environment. It's sort of like Fight Club where you choose your own level of involvement. There's no gatekeepers to tell you, you know, go back, stay in line or something. Yeah. If you want to do something, everyone's like, yeah, more, the more the merrier. Go for it. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about kind of where we've been in Reno, you know, kind of where we're at and where we're going. So from your perspective, what were some of the big challenges? Or kind of maybe, maybe a different question is like, what drew you to do the entrepreneurial work? Ooh, that's a great question. So I was a small business owner myself, graduated from the University of Nevada, Reno, grew up in Reno. You moved here, but I grew up here. And downtown in Reno was just a casino town. And something happened around the recession, and we just started to love the city differently than we did before. I remember the biggest little city project and how to gain this resurgence of pride. But I really got started with this in 2005 when I graduated and saw the need for a hookah lounge in Reno and had never taken a business class in my life and decided to open up a small hookah lounge in downtown Reno. And I had to learn entrepreneurship the hard way because 
yeah, I didn't even know what accounting 101 was. So I had that business and in 2008 opened an Irish bar in Midtown. And I owned two businesses. I had no idea what I was doing. So I went back and got my MBA and had a passion for clean tech in the 2000s. That was a thriving industry and got involved with the startup company uh, in the clean tech space. Yeah. Worked there for two years, went through a couple rounds of capital raises and really learned the startup track there. And went from there to helping other entrepreneurs and somehow landed Edom. The rest is history. <laughs> There's no substitution for just doing it. You know, that's one of the things. I'm sure the MBA was helpful, but I got to imagine like running Filthy McNasties and running the Hukava really gave you a, a real experience of what it's like to be a business owner and, and really tapped into that business mindset or the entrepreneurial mindset. Yeah, every day is a new adventure. And I asked my accountant a lot of questions. <laughs> that was probably the most valuable person I had in my corner was just the accountant. He just sort of said, this is how you do it. Yeah. You know, don't think about it too much. I mean, back when you started that, though, you know, downtown was, downtown arena was pretty tough. I mean, it's still from the outside looking in, although we made a lot of improvements, you know, it still kind of looks a little rough around the edges. But back then, I mean, I had Tahoe SUP and we were down on 100 North Arlington and it was dicey, you know. So what was it about that time that really gave you this inspiration that you thought we could, you could really make it successful here one of them was the Millennium Scholarship It kicked in at the university. So we had an influx of students from Las Vegas. And they would come up here and say, you know, Reno is just a, a casino town. There's nothing to do if you're not 21. And we said, well, you're from Las Vegas. It's the same thing. And they said, well, we have all these other options. And we didn't have those up in Reno. And so I think maybe that was the start of becoming a college town. Mm. When I was in college, you just went to the casinos. It was Brew Brothers. It was Roxy Bistro. Not because we wanted to, because he had to. There were no other options. <laughs> And I remember a time where, yeah, there was no, the Riverwalk wasn't the Riverwalk, what it is now. And I think the Tap House, the Cages, who have the Tap yeah. House, was actually one of the first businesses to go in down there. And then shortly thereafter, there was Imperial and our business. And then you had Silver Peak come in, you had the movie theater open, and then you had the Palladio get built. And Compo was one of the actual first real restaurants to open in that downtown Reno Corridor that yeah. wasn't attached to a casino. And that's crazy to talk about now because people don't understand how big and significant that was, that we actually had a classy restaurant that wasn't included inside a casino. And from there, it sort of just took off. Everything, you know, piecemeal. Coffee shops here, little piece here, and it just blew up. Reno Collective, which we're sitting in now, opened on first in Arlington, and then you had Startup Row, and, you know, we can get to all that, but it's, you forget things do happen incrementally. You just can't yeah. wave a magic wand. Well, I mean, I think, you know, Reno Collective is celebrating their 10-year anniversary, and they've been through multiple spots. It's crazy to think back now, but we had to build the bricks. So we sort of, there's so much going on now that we look at things holistically across the whole thing, but back in the day, it was you and I launching our own events, organizing our own events, trying to pull people in. It was, we were doing the heavy lifting. Yeah. It's crazy to look back now and think that, you know, our roles have changed. A lot. Lots of late nights. Yeah. But I think, you know, one of the things that I've, I also appreciate about you is this idea that we've always embraced putting entrepreneurs in the lead, right? You know, what, what Brad talked about, even though we are both former entrepreneurs in our role in Edon, we're really community supporters and we're really, I hate, you know, I don't really like the word feeder, but in the context of, of startup community, we really always were just filling in for entrepreneurs to lead. I mean, look at 1 million cups. They're going on seven years. I mean, I remember the first days of that. I was the one stressing out about who was going to show up there. And now, I mean, I don't even know what's going on over there. I remember those days where it's like, I think we have about four weeks worth of companies. What are we <laughs> going to do week five? 
we were just looking at the. And uh, how many years? Eight, seven, eight years. Seven, eight years ago. And I don't think they've missed very many weeks. No, it's been amazing. And what a you know, I think that just speaks to the need that the community has built around that, and all the new things that are happening. So you know, I know we've come a, we've come a long way. I mean, we came from the, the bottom of many lists that said you know it's like the place to die early, and you know all the you know I, again the nine one one jokes ne- are never ending. But in the last year, we came back and we're on the top and we just got rated number one small city of our size. We're number one in job growth. Number one in job growth. Our year-over-year wage growth is something like 5% or greater than 5%, which is outpacing the national average. You know, we're seeing huge influxes of people, you know, both talent for the existing jobs and quite honestly, a lot of interesting founders, former founders with successes hopefully looking at our community for the next place. So so tell me a little bit about what you're seeing on the ground. Like what's exciting for you right now in Reno? Well, as I said, we don't do a lot of the heavy lifting as much as we used to. Now it's others doing it. I'll use Julie at Panty Drop, Julie Arsenal at Panty Drop. She's the founder of a women's subscription company. And she just took upon herself to start doing happy hour. And that was something we would have to, like we should get all of our founders together, you know? We'd try to plan it and figure it out and everything else. She just went out and did it, and uh, it's turned out to a great to be a great event, and I love attending. Yet it was beyond like now the founders are now the entrepreneurs are leading, which is always the goal. And I think we should mention that when we first read Startup Communities, I said this is going to take twenty years, and we really believe that. Yeah. And we're eight nine years in, and I think we've achieved a lot of success. But yeah, we still have that twenty year plan. Oh yeah. But now we're starting to see the entrepreneurs and the effects happening on their own. And now we're just buckling in for the ride and supporting where we can. It was hard for me to internalize 20 years or even 10 years. Just being impatient as an entrepreneur, you just don't think that it's going to take that long. You think you're just going to, it's all going to work out. And, you know, then when you throw in government and the speed of, you know, community change and all of that, I mean, 10 years seems fast. In fact, I think people, a lot of people that have been here are reacting to how rapid the growth has been. And it was sort of like, it was deceptive, right? There wasn't much going on, wasn't much going on. All of a sudden, houses were too expensive. And it's an interesting thing. But for me, it was, I I wasn't quite, I could never wrap my head around the fact that it was going to be 10 years. But, you know, eight, nine years in, I can just see we're probably 30 or 40% of the way there. Well, we've been having fun, and I don't think we're going to stop anytime soon. One thing, you know, with economic development, people ask, why should we care about small startup companies? They're going to create one. You know, how many jobs did that startup create? Well, it's just two people and they're not paying themselves. And people are like, why should we care about that in economic development? And we had to essentially make the case that Tesla at one time was a startup company. Um, Guy in his garage, tinker around with batteries and, you know, frame, car frame. And you have to believe in the potential of these things and that every new job created in a startup is a new job. It didn't exist before. And that could be AI, project engineers, things like that. And now we have companies we can actually showcase that like Bombora and Ioterra, Breadware, Figure, that are now 60, 70 people companies. You know, Trainer Road's a great example. I mean, Ridgeline, like, oh, David that's Deffield, what, yeah. That's what you guys were talking about. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but we knew it was going to take 10, 20 years and we're in that process. That's why I like the rainforest metaphor, right? Like in a, in a, in a rainforest, you don't know which ones are the weeds and which ones are the the established bushes. And that's true with startups, right? I mean, at one point, Google could have easily been taken out. Like no one knew that it would be what it is today. I mean, there was a point at which I think they were offered to sell to Yahoo for a million dollars and they, Yahoo didn't do it. 
Can you imagine? I mean, and so that's, I think it's taken a lot of people in, in this community, especially where they're not around the startup community, they don't recognize the impact of the small companies. And they all look at these like small, needy things. They don't really realize that, especially in the world of technology, those things can have dramatic impacts in a relatively short period of time. One of the things that has been most interesting is that mind shift, right? Like as we work in economic development on our board, we have lots of people that represent, you know, larger industries, more established industries. And Reno has been known a lot for distribution, a lot of, you know, uh, e-commerce now more than ever manufacturing. But technology and startups really aren't as big a part of the economy as, say, they would be in San Francisco, where that's just like the economy. But now we're starting to see people recognize the value of that. And, and that is in no small part to us, uh, I'm not going to pat ourselves on the back, a little humble brag, evangelizing for so many years. And quite honestly, I mean, we got to give Mike huge props, our, our CEO, Mike Kazmierski from Edon, for believing in entrepreneurial development. Because like you said, you know, when you could bring in 200 jobs that makes much better headlines than we brought in like four, you know, mm-hmm. 20-somethings from the Bay Area with a couple laptops. It doesn't seem quite as at exciting. At zero, zero wage. <laughs> yeah, at zero wage. What's the average wage? Zero. Actually, negative wage. <laughs> They're paying to do it. And so shifting that mindset. And now what's interesting is, you know, nationally, entrepreneurship and startups and all that has become a much bigger part of the conversation. We started traveling around and people were so jealous of us that not only did we have support, but we were dedicated. We had the city council and the city government and state government and the university all on the same page cheering us on. And like, we can't even get the university to pay attention to what we're doing. We don't even have relationships with our university. Or, yeah, the mayor doesn't pay attention to what we're doing or uh, governor. You know, the governor went to the Reno Collective, the first press conference ever for a startup company. So at the Reno Collective, I think 2014, the governor showed up and he said, this is a first for us. We've never done this before. The fact that the governor, Governor Sandoval, who's now President Sandoval of the university, he was just, I get it. He goes, this is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. We got to give the guys over at Kaufman a lot of props too. I mean, they really at the, about the same time started to create something called Startup Champions Network, which was really about trying to create and legitimize the idea of a ecosystem builder. It's like, what is that? It's hard to define, right? It, you know, when I, when I sold my paddleboard company and I was interviewing for Edon, I went to Microsoft for a hot second and they looked at my resume and they were like, well, I don't know if you're like a finance level one or finance level two. And I'm like, okay, dude, this, let's just end this right now. Like I'll make it easy. I don't exist. Like you can't fit me into that box. And so like, what is an ecosystem builder is kind of a, it was a big question, but it, it came about at the same time. And you know, when, when you see one, but you know, now it's been more, there's more legitimacy to it as a result of a lot of the work. And I guess one of the other things that really struck me in what you were saying was a good crisis is a bad thing to waste. I think, you know, we were hit so hard during the recession that all options were on the table. You know, it broke the political structure. It opened up an opportunity for the power that used to control the town to give way to new opportunities. You had a whole set of new leadership that came in. And so it was kind of the perfect storm. Yeah, it's like we can't lose trying something new. Totally. When we looked at some of our peers in other cities, it wasn't quite as bad. So you had, you know, established organizations that had momentum and there was a lot of turf war. I mean, I I just remember it was like, you want to try something? Okay, here's $500. Here's yep. $1,000. Let's just do it. And getting the mayor and, you know, even, you know, our governor, our former governor, uh, Brian Sandoval, used to make phone calls to our entrepreneurs. And I would, I my you know, we would send him a list and I would love this. And entrepreneurs would be like, dude, 
the governor called me. I'm like, yeah, that's great, man. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite program. And actually, Andy Stoll from Kaufman told me this. And you know, this is just another, like the value of side conversations. We were walking down the street in Kansas City after a uh, Kaufman event. And I'm like, what do we, how do we get the government involved? He's like, just have your governor call entrepreneurs. I'm like, I'm going to do that. And there it went. And that was like my favorite thing ever because I just knew it made such a difference to the entrepreneurs. My favorite story was with Startup Row and the mayor where Startup Row was just, it happened organically. The Reno Collective was on First Street in downtown. And there were a couple spots that opened up and a real estate person renovated the spaces and said, I'm going to come, I'm going to let startups go in, in here. And knew that they had to work with the companies because startups don't have money to pay full rent, especially back then when we were just starting. But they believed in it, and a couple startups started moving in, and we had this little corridor of startup companies. And nobody owned it. A couple people came up with it and said, you know, we have this like startup row thing happening. And one startup did the design work. Another company did something else, made the banner website. I think we had the flags, the banners printed. Yep. And overnight, a crew went and put them up on flagpoles downtown without the city's approval. And the mayor was like, I'm all for it. This is awesome. Let's do it. We have a startup row now. And nobody owned it. Nobody had to ask permission. It just happened overnight. And it was like, yes, this is sort of the free reign we can have here to do good things. And that's, I think that's the attitude that helps support entrepreneurs, right? You need to be able to remove barriers, create possibilities, give them fuel. Experimentation. Yeah. We have benefited from that because that's we have that sort of libertarian culture. I mean, maybe not truly politically libertarian, but just kind of the – I always like to describe it as like the brackish water between the cowboys and the burners, right? Like they both can kind of agree they don't want to be messed with. They want their own thing, but they have very different views, and we just kind of all exist here. Would you say digital cowboys? There was some slogan you had back in the day. Digital cowboys. I felt that way when I was riding around on my cruiser bike with my iPhone and the whole, you know, the whole view of the world and – yeah, while raising chickens in downtown Reno. Well, I would say this. How would you explain, because some people may listen to this wondering, they may have heard rumors about Reno. So how would you explain people what is Reno right now, incorporating some of the Burning Man stuff and that digital cowboy? Like, how would you explain Reno to someone? You know, I think one of the people that I really admire is Elon, and he said, it's just easy to be here. And I think that's one of the things that really struck me. I think he encapsulated that. It feels like freedom. Or I think he said it feels like freedom. I don't know. I'm confusing the two of them. But it, it's easy to be here and it feels like freedom are the two two things that I would say. You know, you can still get all of the things that you would get out of a larger city. Although, you know, we don't have quite the diversity of Chinese food as you might have in, in San Francisco. But then you still have all of the, you know, the benefits of living in a little bit more of a rural environment. You know, you've got access to the skiing. So there's just, just a lot of possibility. But you have to give up a lot of that. For it. So it's easy to live. There's a lot of opportunity. And and actually, most thing I think the thing that's most resonant with me is the idea that we're a barn raising community. It really feels like people roll up their sleeves, get to work together and help, whether that's, you know, in running a startup weekend or just helping your buddy out with something they need. It's kind of the same thing. You know, we roll up our sleeves, get in and help entrepreneurs. And and that's I think we've coalesced around one of those core values which is the idea of putting the entrepreneur first. You know, we've talked about it a little bit in terms of building programs and having them lead, but I, I would say at the core of our philosophy about this is that you have to put the entrepreneur front and center. Like, do Make the right the thing. Star. 
yeah, make do the right thing for them no matter what. I mean, it is both of us have started businesses. You know, I've had five or six businesses. I've had some pretty spectacular failures, probably the wrong word, but I've had some things didn't go exactly the way I wanted them to go. Like we raised a bunch of money and sold it for less than we raised. That was not the outcome I was looking for. So I know how hard that is, you know? And when you have a government, I think there's an inherent distrust sometimes in organizations or at least maybe quasi-government to help entrepreneurs. So for me, one of the key things was I want to make sure that people are very clear, like we're in it for their success, not for our success. Yeah, perplex people in a way. Yeah. What? Are you guys government? I'm not used to getting support from the government. Like we're not technically government. Yeah. We're here for you. We're here for you. And government. And the cool thing is here, I mean, government is reasonably here for you too in, in Nevada. I mean, it's we're still small. I mean, we used to run into the governor at the local farmer's market. You know, the mayor would have coffee with us a ton. So Yeah, we would have founders come into town that are interested in the area, and the mayor would meet us for coffee or lunch. Yeah. And it's fascinating. Yeah. yeah so let's, We take that for granted. I don't think, oh, yeah. uh, you know, in retrospect, we really do take that for granted. Well, you forget how... When you can just pick up the phone and call the right person, how amazing that is. I brought a good friend of mine who's a very successful real estate developer in San Francisco, and he was looking at a project here. We just walked in and talked to the head of community development. And like, I didn't think it was a big thing. He's like, I can't believe you just did that. You know how long it would take me to do that in San Francisco? Of course, I probably could never do it. And so you just, I, I agree with you, you just forget that there's that ease of access, which really translates into removing friction for the entrepreneur, right? Like, there is a lot of value in having those close connections so that you can eliminate barriers. Now, you got to have something on the other side. Like we can eliminate a lot of barriers to capital. If there's no money, it doesn't really help. So, you know, we have to also remove barriers and build capacity. So, yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the things that are going on today. I think one of the things that people may or may not know is, you know, you've really been deeply instrumental in getting the Reno Seed Fund up and running. So maybe talk a little bit about kind of your inspiration for that and like how that all came together. Well, I realized we ran a, a program called the Summit VMS Mentor Program. It's a program developed at MIT. And what I really realized through that process is one of my probably superpowers is getting identifying people and convincing them to join something. And so when we were starting that mentor program, we identified the best people we could possibly get, the hardest sells. And we would go to them and say, you should mentor startup companies. And you'd expect, if you pick the right people, you'd expect them to say, I don't have time for that. Or why should I care? Or this. And then you ask them, who helped you out when you started your thing? Oh, I had somebody looking over my shoulder the whole time. Can you be that person for someone else? Absolutely. But don't waste my time and don't put junk in front of me because my time's valuable. And we started with that premise and we built quite a good group of people. And after that, we had some companies bubbling up that certainly deserved attention and we didn't have the funding sources here. So applying the same model, we went out and got a, a small federal grant to, we knew we needed a seed fund. We didn't have a very active angel ecosystem, uh, investor ecosystem in the area. They had a lot of capacity, but they, you know, yeah. just that model was difficult for them to move deals quickly. And they had a bit of a bias against Reno, given their track record down here. Yeah. And as I've got, as I've delved into this world deeper, I totally understand that now that the risks in startup are so high that if you have capital, you sort of want to, you know, back the best horse. And if you have a pipeline to get really good deals, you're gonna invest in those first. So we didn't really have the ecosystem built here in Reno. So we knew we needed capital in the area. 
And most communities say they do. And certainly communities are size. If we just had more investors, yeah. things would be great. And everyone's like, well, that's a false thing. But we knew, definitely knew we knew. We had two or three companies where we're like, if they didn't, they didn't get funding and they died. And we're like, if they were anywhere else, they would have been a huge success. Super depressing. Yeah. And one of the hard parts about this job is seeing those, you know, encourage people to put their lives and livelihoods on the line to chase a dream. And when it doesn't work out, you feel somewhat responsible. That's really hard. I feel that. I, my worst days at Edon were when people have spent their life savings on something that they built that they didn't actually go test to see if the world wanted. And then there's just not much you can do there. Yeah. So we started with the same premise. Uh, we got the federal grant and we had a short list of people, invited them to a dinner, said, we're going to start a seed fund. Here's the amount of money. And essentially said, if you know someone who would be interested, invite them to the next dinner. And if you're not interested, then thanks. And uh, we won't see you at the next dinner. And over, uh, I would say, nine to 11 months, people started getting interested. We found a fund manager who didn't want to do it at first, but finally said, yeah, I think definitely now's the time to do it. This is Gene Wong. Go, Gene. Go, Gene. And Gene, he's a force of nature, and he works harder than anyone I know. Uh, and he said, I can do it. And we got the people in the room, and he really sold it. They had confidence in him to write, you know, like a $50,000 check. Yeah. And within a year, uh, we had the fund structure getting set up, and now we have a seed fund. Yeah, it's uh, it's just under $3 million seed fund. We've already allocated a million dollars in the fund. I mean, isn't that amazing, though? I got to say, I mean, we we saw this gap. We knew that we needed this this fund, and we just didn't know how to get there. And the idea of us raising capital and then doing it inside Edon was just – we just didn't know what we were going to do. We looked around. We looked at a couple models. You, you know, you took – Yes, I remember that. I mean, you were really like, we got to follow the Bend venture model. We went out to Bend, and we were hooked. We are like, we, we totally get it. But still, you know, we didn't know what the hell we were going to do. We were so jazzed. We had someone that said, you know, if you guys are trying to do this, you should really look at what Bend Oregon's doing. And that's what we say. Some of our, I always say my job is being an arsonist and a thief. Yeah. Uh, we steal from the best ideas from other communities and we throw fuel on the fire for the things that are working. And we just went up to Bend in very short, short notice, went up there and we were so jazzed. Do you remember the oh. excitement? We were just so jazzed. We're like, we can do this. This is awesome. <laughs> Essentially, what happens is that the small town of Ben, Oregon, which is 80,000 people, it's, it's a small place, but a really cool mountain town. And they invite their entire entrepreneurial community and pretty much every investor in the state of Oregon to Bend for three days. And they put on this conference slash pitch event. And they have an early stage track and a later stage track. And they essentially get all the deals that are getting done to be presented there. And then after the event, they essentially do like, you know, so-and-so has decided to invest in this company at $300,000. And then the local angel group will come up next and say, we also like that company. We're also putting in 80 grand. And then the Oregon Angel Fund, which is a big fund in Oregon, will come up and say, we're, we like them as well. We're putting half a million dollars in. And Next thing you know, there's like $1.3 million on this company. And it wasn't a competition. It was essentially a venue for all the deals to get highlighted and then everyone else to layer their rounds, to layer their investments on. And it just created this excitement. And it created this camaraderie amongst the entire angel group. Oh, yeah. And everyone there was so amazing. There was a guy, I'll use this. We met a guy, John Maroney, with the Oregon Angel Fund, Oregon Angel Network. And he was the most down-to-earth, open guy. Usually everyone thinks investors, you know, they don't, no one knows who they are. They're like mysterious. And yeah. The mysterious was, angel investor. This guy was so open and welcoming and would give his time to anyone. And he he shared all the best ideas. You guys want to do it? I'm an open book. 
And he was this guy, and I'm like, we need a John Maroney in <laughs> Reno. And I think we found that in Rick Winfield. He does a lot of the screening for the Reno Seed Fund. He's a professor of entrepreneurial finance. And he's that guy. He'll give anyone some time. He'll give his, them his honest feedback. And they just love him for it. He's so gracious. Yeah, and so we came back from Ben, and we're like, we definitely can do this. And so we put on the calendar to host a venture conference, and we had 200 people show up, I think April of last year. It was great. Announced financing of... I think we announced 1.3 million total. Yeah. Yeah, and that was the first investments out of the Reno Seed Fund. Yeah. It just goes to show how powerful the role of Catalyst can be, right? I mean, you know, we got we got this grant, which, you know, was, what, $300,000. We couldn't spend it on the company, so we had to go do something with it. And then we didn't have a fund manager. We talked to a few people. We didn't know what was going to happen, but we set a vision, you know, and, and then you went out there and worked it and got all the people. I mean, people came along to help support that and, you know, Gene, huge props. But the fact is, you know, like that was a seminal moment in catalyzing it. We couldn't quite get it moving before. We tried other things and it was clearly a need and it was a, a little bit of a build it and they'll come. I mean, how many times did we hear, no, there's not enough deal flow. You're not going to find a thing. And now what's what's it like at the seed fund? You guys are overwhelmed right now. With yeah, we are overwhelmed. I think we've seen 170 companies apply to the seed fund and I'm not directly involved, but it is sort of my baby. So I, I sort of participate in all the things, but yeah, it's it's crazy to see. Yeah, right now. I would say the coronavirus, I was saying this earlier, it has really streamlined the operations because it was such a one-to-one relationship building tool. You know, sometimes going to coffee to someone really was the way to get the deal done. And coronavirus, you had to create a process where you have a Zoom call and everyone participates and then they watch the recordings. I mean, it's hard sometimes to get people's attention on a deal or attend a pitch event or something. But if you send them a a recorded Zoom, they may hop on and watch it for 45 minutes. So it, it really streamlined things. And we've been really busy looking at companies and a lot of deals are getting done. I'm glad that that's happened. I, you know, I think that, you know, I, I wouldn't consider myself old school, but I just miss the, you know, some of the networking and in-person things. I mean, that's been the hard thing about coronavirus. But fortunately, entrepreneurs always need money. And so they will go where the money is, or at least go. So, I, and I know that was funny when we, you were and I were originally talking about the seed fund, I was like, I bet if we have money, they will come. And it's kind of true. They, they have come together. We... You know, and you were there every step of the way. And I remember you would say, like, I just had coffee with so-and-so. You need to sit down with them and tell them about the seed fund. And I would do my thing. Like, that's sort of my, give me an hour of your time. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have 15 minutes of your time to make a financial decision that will benefit you and your loved ones? I must have sound like like a telemarketer. Oh, it sounds like an Amway commercial. uh, Yeah, Yeah, pyramid scheme. (laughs) It might be. I'm sure I sounded sounded like one. (laughs) One of the things we were doing wrong is we thought we approached it as – this is the right thing to do for the community. You should do this. It's the right thing to do. And it sounded really philanthropy. And a lot of people told us, like, don't go that route. This is people's hard-earned money, and they want a return. Some Somebody said, you know, I invest my time in things I love. I invest my money in, you know. Yeah, I think that was Goldberg, who's yeah. been obviously a huge help. I mean, he connected us with Dino from— uh, Dino Vendetti, yeah. yeah. Dino and, from, and from Bend. What? Seven Seven Hills. Seven Peaks Ventures. Seven Peaks. I always get Seven Hills and Seven Peaks confused. I mean, just think about all of those different people. And this is one of the things I love about working in the entrepreneurial community. Everybody says yes, or at least will help. I mean, you don't get a ton of roadblocks. I mean, you, you obviously run into lots of roadblocks. But when you're talking to other 
entrepreneurial supporters and other support groups, they're always looking at how they can help. I mean, they may not always be able to, but they're always offering to open a door, to make an introduction, to do the right thing. And that's, or at least in the healthy ecosystems, the ones that we want to follow. I would say we've developed a spidey sense over the years yeah. on people whose values don't align with ours. And we can almost see them a mile away now. Yeah. I think that was, you know, in the early days of this ecosystem, I felt like one of our roles, like I've always said, we're like connectors and catalysts, but I'm going to add shark hunter to our list of things. I mean, I think we had to go out and kill the sharks, the people that were not sharing the values of Entrepreneur First, of not paying it forward, you know, not doing the things that that we knew were important. Now, I mean, we're not, we can't police the ecosystem. Of yeah, course. I don't know if, I don't know if I would say we did that. I think we broke their model by creating a culture of openness and collaboration. I just want to go of, shark hunting, dude. I, I sort just... of broke the, but it goes <laughs> no, I, back, I agree with you. It goes back to our core you. values is one of the, our core values is stewards of culture. And we were sort of like, no, this is the right thing you should be doing. And when people knew what was the right thing, every the people who weren't, weren't doing the right thing sort of got disenfranchised and left yeah. the game, which well, is good. Ecosystems are like living organisms. And I think, you know, when, when it has solid values that people agree to, then when you have something that comes in that looks foreign to that, you have almost an immune response. And I think there was finally enough critical mass of people that shared that value system that bad actors couldn't operate as easily. Now, you know, especially in a, in a small community where everybody kind of knows everything, I think it might have been easier. In a big environment, that's a little harder to keep at scale. But nevertheless, I think the ecosystems here especially do, do a good job of kind of weeding out or, or reacting to the to the bad actors. Yeah. Were we done talking about seed fund? I, we sort yeah. of got off on that. But yeah, core values is one thing we brought up, which is... Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about it. Always being entrepreneur first and being stewards of culture is usually probably our biggest role. Well, especially it, now. I mean, yeah. you know, things have changed a lot. Like you said, I mean, we used to be the ones carrying, I mean, with a lot of other people along the way. I mean, you know, Colin, who's still the founder of Reno Collective. There were so many people that were involved in those early days. Just now it's it's a very different role, right? You know, we've got today, we've got things like Arnox, which is a new technology accelerator. You've got Jeff Saling and Maggie Saling who are just working tirelessly statewide for Startup NV and Fund NV. Grace, who runs the Innovation Center now. I mean, you've just got so many different people. And then, you know, it, it seems like every, well, recently, every couple of weeks, we're meeting some new entrepreneur that's here. I think we're going to see Startup Grind in the community. Just all of these different elements. So, you know, with the influx of people, all these new things emerge. I think one of the questions for me, you know, thinking about core values is, as we have all these new people coming in the community, how do we maintain the core values that we've created? Because it's not a guarantee that they're going to bring those same values. That's hard to do in the world we live in right now with the you know lockdowns and things like that. Normally, we would just invite them and say, you know, welcome. You are now starting day one. You are part. You're one of us. You're part of our community. Welcome. We will make any introductions you need. And people are like, wow, this is amazing. And within a month, they feel like they're connected to everyone, that yeah. they're part of it, that, you know, they feel really at home and welcomed. And that is really powerful. And it's also hard to do, given the coronavirus. As you said, it's really hard for extroverts right now oh, to man. operate. It's been killing me. Although I have to say, for as much as I do miss events, like going out three times a week now with two kids and being 46 is a little harder. I don't want to like, you know... But I do miss it. It was really when we went to the NCT Awards, it was really good to see 
you know, I mean, I hadn't seen Matt Westfield in years. And mm-hmm. it's just great to know that there are people that are behind the scenes just working hard to move this forward. I mean, it is truly a collective. I mean, it is, it's an organism. It's a, you know, it has lots of different nodes. There's no command and control. It's all around, you know, distributed common values driving forward to help support the growth of a community that we all love. I think that's particularly remarkable. Yeah, and we certainly welcome others to love it as well. We don't come across as showing ownership. Like, this is ours. And if you come in here, you need to earn it and to own it, you know? It's like, no. We, you know, welcome you. You're going to be a beneficial part of this whole thing. We're happy to have you. Totally. I think, you know, it's, I think we have a bit of a role of translator. I've, you know, I've had a few conversations with some founders that moved in from other ecosystems, you know, Singapore and the Bay Area. And not to discourage them, but also translate like, hey, things, you know, valuations are different here. Things move a little bit different here. Bring all your energy and excitement. We want you to be successful here, but let me just help you. And in doing so, it helps them understand a little bit about what's going on here. But then I also believe that they're the ones that are going to help us raise the bar, right? One of our other core values, which is they will then bring that experience and we'll just get that much more sophisticated. And we'll get that much more sophisticated as is this kind of that creative tension of that's great. Like what works in San Francisco doesn't exactly work here, but bring some of it. And we can help us elevate and we'll help you appreciate why Reno is what Reno is. Yeah, and they maintain their networks as well. So they say, I know someone or, you know, I know someone else doing this thing here. And yeah, you build those networks. So it builds our network as well through them. It's fascinating to see. I mean, just so many interesting people. I mean, right now, you know, we've we've got a lot of the infrastructure in the ecosystem. I mean, you've got accelerators and you've got funds. And of course, we could have a lot more diversity of that, you know, in terms of just yeah, diversity and types of funds and stages and, you know, a more diverse environment for different types of founders. I mean, there's a lot of things that we, you know, there's a lot of growth still, but a lot of the big rocks are in place. And, you know, so it'd be interesting to see what that looks like as we go forward. You know, are we going to see more of an iterative approach? Are we going to see more step functions? I'm kind of curious, what do you think is going to happen as this ecosystem continues to evolve? I think it's going to continue to happen organically. I think Reno's best days are still in front of it. And Reno, Tahoe, Sparks area. For people who know, Reno is the main core. Sparks is sort of the suburb. And we sort of throw Tahoe out our, in our name because we're the closest major city to, to, to Tahoe. It. Yeah, we own it. It's ours. No. And I think it'll be iterative. Iterative, yeah. for sure. I think the people will help us write our story. Yeah. The new people. Do you remember just kind it's, of— It's an evolution. And— Obviously, some people feel threatened by that. That sure. we, we don't want Reno to grow too big, and we don't want these changes to happen too fast. And we say it's not changes; it's just the natural evolution. But it's in a good direction. Our sophistication level is getting higher. More opportunities for graduates. We don't have a brain drain anymore. Yeah, you know, graduates want to stay here, and they're going to be part of that story. Yeah, a couple things came up for me when you're talking about that is, I mean, remember when the downtown project in Vegas came on board? It was about the same time we started and we were we were initially like super envious, like, oh, we need a Tony Shea, we got to have somebody. And then it became kind of clear that ours was happening organically and that was going to happen slower, but that it may just be more sustainable. And, you know, I think that's that's become true. I, you know, I'm not I'm not totally familiar with what's going on down in Vegas with with that, but it had a big flash and it seemed like it sizzled. Yeah, know, it was awful. Tony Shea put $150 million in, $50 million into a fund to support new companies. 
50 million into projects and education and 50 million into sort of real estate. Which is super bold. I love what he did. Oh yeah, it was amazing. Amazing. And everyone was reading his book. And I don't know where it went from that. They're one of the communities where like, we don't have a good relationship with the university. And it's just fascinating to hear that they're doing all that and they don't have a a relationship with with the major university in the area. But definitely the downtown area, it's amazing. When I go to Vegas, I don't always go to the Strip. I go to the, the downtown, downtown area yeah. and visit Commonwealth. And what was the coffee shop down there that oh, we used to go to? Oh, I can picture to? it. I can't remember. I mean, at one point, they were doing startup weekends. We were doing startup weekends. They had this cool coffee shop culture. Yeah. They had the uh, Vegas jellies. Oh, I remember. remember jellies? The idea of a jelly was just... So one term co- uh, Tony Shea coined was... Um, collisions, serendipity, serendipitous collisions, which is you just get people to interact with each other and the magic happens. Yeah, you trust in the magic of individual connections. And so they had these jellies, which everyone would come and it was just, if you're interested in something or interested in startups or whatever, just show up, talk to the person next to you. And what they found was they were losing people attending over time. And they're like, whatever happened to those people? What they didn't realize is those people actually went off to start to create a company and were too busy building what they're working on to attend the events anymore. So they thought they're like, what happened? Those people were really cool. But actually, it was a huge success. They had a podcast that they started. The the downtown podcast. podcast, Early. And they would do it in Tony Shea's apartment. And I remember like Adam Kramer was involved with that. Now he's at Switch. And it was just really cool. It was just like a happy hour, filmed happy hour. This is what, eight years ago, oh, yeah, seven years ago, probably pre, pre-podcast pre being cool. I feel like we're those old guys talking about all the yeah. good old days. <laughs> no, there's the so many cool things going on right now. But yeah, it was really cool what they were doing down there. We were definitely jealous. We we're like, if we could have some of that, some of that here, we could do a lot with it. But, you know, I guess my point of that was it all happened organically. And now we have this thing that's much more sustainable. It's distributed versus centralized. You've got all these new exciting things. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that I was going to react to was, you know, this idea that Reno, you know, we talked about it a little bit, like, oh, we were going to be Boulder or we're going to be Austin. Really what we're doing is becoming the best versions of ourselves. Like we're creating real opportunity for people, the students. I mean, part of the reason why I got in this, I mean, you and I both have two young boys. You know, I came into it with this vision that, you know, my boys are going to go off into the world, but if I want them to have a place to come back to. And at the time, eight to 10 years ago, this was not a great place to come back to. I mean, they just didn't have a lot of job opportunities. Mm-hmm. Now, who the hell knows what they're going to do? I mean, my youngest one, we'll just see. But They'll be living on Mars before right. we know it. Totally. And he'd be like, why would I come back to Earth, Dad? I'm on Mars. <laughs> but that was part of my inspiration, right? Like, you know, can we create that? And what's amazing now is that there's more tech jobs, there's more startup opportunities than there have ever been here. And I think our future is particularly bright. I think we are, you know, disproportionately growing relative other communities and, you know, just the shifts in demographics that, you know, we're having a higher millennial population than than the national average. There's just a lot of things happening. And people just finally figured out what we've always known is basically what I kind of feel like. Well, you know, I'm a city geek. I just, I am a city geek. And what I think was happening is you have traditional economic development, you attract people due to low cost of employment, low low real estate, low cost, low fees, low taxes. I don't think that's the economic development game anymore. Yeah. Attractiveness of a community, quality of life, culture, talent, those are the currencies that economic development deals with. And we understood that before a lot of the people did. Totally. And we have our challenges. Um, you know, talent, I think every city right now has a talent yeah. problem. Or they're all they're all like, where's your talent? You know, and sort of you have to curate it. And that comes through code schools and some things we still need here in this Absolutely. community. Absolutely. 
But something Steve Case said in his book, The Third Wave, and Steve Case is, well, he's the founder of Yahoo? AOL. AOL, that's right. AOL, and he runs a fund now called Revolution, and he does a bus tour throughout the world, uh, throughout the U.S. called Rise of the Rest Bus except, Tour. Except in Reno, which you're always welcome, Steve. We'd hey, love to have you come here whenever you want. We're working on it. So seeing what's going on in Bend and Boise, I think there's definitely a case to be made to do a Rise of the Rest bus tour between sort of the Mountain West from Bozeman, Montana, which is doing great things, yep. to Boise, to Bend, maybe Spokane, and definitely Reno at the last stop or the first stop. But he said in his book, he said that all these things are getting democratized. You don't need to be in the Bay Area to, to do these things anymore. Actually, you may have more of an advantage being out of the Bay Area. And he said, I imagine a future where a Stanford grad is saying, I'm moving to New Orleans, not because it's the next best Bay Area, because New Orleans is the new New Orleans, yeah. the next New Orleans. And as you said, I think Reno is the next Reno. Yeah. We're not trying to be anyone else. No, it's a, and it's it's great. We have our own character. It's clearly not for everybody, but it's a great place for me. And I just, you know, I've, I've appreciated being able to have what hand I have had in helping create, a, you know, a better future for a lot of people. And it's, it's really rewarding. You know, when we, uh, I used to be the, I was a co-founder of Tahoe SUP. And one of my best days was when I would drive, I would see a car with one of our boards on the top of it. And I didn't know who bought it. Like I just knew it was kind of getting out in the world, right? And it's cool to see these companies and these entrepreneurs and these people taking advantage or and thriving here and knowing that we had a small hand in that. I mean, it was a collective effort, of course, but it just really, it's very rewarding work. Yeah, you see your fingerprints on things. Yeah. So what do you think, you know, what are some of the things that people can look forward to down the line? You know, what what's coming down for Reno in the next uh I'm excited to have a new president at the University of Nevada, Reno, our former governor, Brian Sandoval. He was a huge supporter of economic development. He attended a lot of our events. So we got to the point where we started to do press conferences for startup companies moving to the area. Yeah. He would always attend everyone. And he really believed in what we were doing. And I think his role in there, he'll sort of understand that the relationship between startups and business in the community and the graduates. Those graduates have need to have somewhere to go, somewhere to work, and the idea of a college town. We're a mountain town, we're a college town, and I hope yeah. it stays that way. He really gets that, and I'm, I'm excited to see some of the changes he'll interact. Oh, Not yeah. even changes, just some of the things that he will support. Yeah. Like the community, the college has to, you know, grow in sophistication too. I mean, I think Myrtle's done a great job bringing in research dollars. I think we had, you know, what, $150 million. I'm misquoting it, but like a huge influx of research dollars. Now we need to get those companies out of the university and into the environment. So I agree with you. The university is a big thing. And Myrtle's a great entrepreneur himself. Oh, yeah. It's like, let's do it. Let's try it. I'm not drinking as much anymore, so I don't get to see him as often <laughs> because the guy loves beer and wine. A great guy. Yeah, you know, I also am excited about, you know, what Fund Envy, that's going to be a great pre-seed fund, the Silver Fund from Arnox, you know, and just all the new things. It's just really exciting to see once we can get more of the new people integrated, what are the things we're not even thinking about that are coming down the pipe? Yeah, and I, I'm excited to see some founders exit and reinvest in the community. And that's that something nice. we've always said that that is the 20-year goal. That in, And there's a lot of examples of this in, was it uh, Michigan, Ann Arbor? Yeah, with, Duo. Um, Duo. And they had an exit and they immediately moved that money into a fund, started investing in the next round of startups, and maybe one or two of the original team went on and started their own company. Exact Target in Indianapolis got bought out by Salesforce. 
those guys on their exit, um, guys and gals on the exit, they immediately went out and started a fund and started investing in yeah. the next round of entrepreneurs. And so I think that is the next big BHAG goal yeah. of ours is to have one of our companies, not even a huge exit, but have a modest exit where yeah. they can reinvest and support and be mentors and advisors and things like yeah, that. Absolutely. Also, just to, to kind of make entrepreneurship more accessible too. you know, this is one of those things. I think in the early days, it seemed like, you know, trying to bring more diversity in the ecosystem seemed like a second order problem to me. And, uh, you know, I probably was thinking about this incorrectly, but I just really appreciate what, you know, Kelly and Danielle are doing over at the end of it. At, Audacity. At, at the Audacity Fund. Thank you. Not only have they been helping support underrepresented groups, they got involved with the CARES Act, CARES Act funding. They've been putting a lot of that money out. And th this is one of those things where it truly driven from passion. And we could we could definitely use a lot more of that. I think this is an area that we haven't really done a ton in. And so there's just a real opportunity to do so. That said, I think, you know, some of our other entrepreneurial groups like EO, um, you know, one of the highest percentage of female founders, I think we've got the raw material for that. I'm just excited to see what that evolution will look like. Yeah. And, it's, and make it intentional. Totally That's... make it intentional versus kind of a bolt on or trying to figure out what it is. And I think, I think that goes by way of being catalyst, right? Like we're probably not the people to lead that but we're the people that can actually remove the friction and, and kind of catalyze it. So this has been a great adventure. We could sit here and talk for probably I know. We do this hours. all the time. It's easy for us. Well, just we should actually start another podcast that all about <laughs> what we're reading right now, the book reviews. But, you know, honestly, Brian, from the bottom of my heart, I just you're such a steward of culture, such a great friend. I'm just really glad to be on this adventure with you. Right back at you, man. Thanks, man. <laughs>